So Psalm 11, David is the writer, and the title of the message needs a little disclaimer. The title of the message is, How Dare You Tell Me to Quit? (laughs) How Dare You Tell Me to Quit? Now, don't misunderstand me and be thinking the whole time, who has told him to quit? Nobody told me to quit this week. Um, The devil sometimes tells me to quit, and well-meaning people sometimes tell me to quit, and enemies sometimes tell me to quit, but nobody this week has told me to quit, so don't be thinking he's lashing out at somebody. He's not. Uh, It is just, you're going to hear me use that phrase over and over again during this message, how dare you tell me to quit? Don't be thinking that I'm hoping that somebody somewhere might hear me. Um, Psalm 11, it's going to be on the screen, it's a short psalm, I have the NIV on the screen, it might be a slightly newer version of the NIV, but I'll, I'll read what I've got. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous. But the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men and women, because that's what the Hebrew word is. Upright men and women and children will see his face. Father, we ask that you'd bless your word this morning. That you would use it to stir up fight and determination in your people. And that for anyone who has thought about quitting, who has been advised to quit, or who in the forthcoming weeks, months, ever hears a voice telling them to quit, that, Lord, this psalm will stir up in their hearts once again, and they will hear your word. We thank you in anticipation that you will bless your word. Amen. We're not exactly sure when this was written in the life of David, but it was written at a point when his life was being threatened, which was quite regular. It could have been when he was a reasonably young man in Saul's courts, and Saul was starting to dislike him. It could have been when he was being hunted by Saul in the wilderness, and that's probably the most likely one. It could have been whenever his son Absalom revolted and rebelled against him and took the throne from him. All we know was that this was a time of tremendous threat upon David's life. And he opens up the psalm with with what I believe might be 
David's life verse. Do you ever hear people talking about a life verse? Just a, a particular verse of, of Scripture, a particular phrase that they find themselves just going back to again and again and again. And it maybe doesn't mean an awful lot to some other people, but for, for a particular individual, and you're maybe even just yourself thinking of verses now, that's just something that for some reason God has really quickened to me and I cling to it. And I think this was maybe one of David's life verses. He wrote this so many times. In the Lord I take refuge. So many Psalms begin with that declaration that God is my refuge. And what the word literally means, that word refuge is trust. In the Lord I put my trust. In the Lord I stand firm. In the Lord I, I, I believe he will look after me. In the Lord I find shelter. A refuge is, is you know, it's a word that we maybe don't use that commonly in our own contemporary speech but a refuge is a place of shelter and safety that is a refuge it is somewhere that you can run to and you know you are safe in that place in the in the earlier books of the old testament you will read in the law about cities of refuge cities that were set up and that a person could run to and be protected Sometimes in the incidents of, of, a, of a, a manslaughter case and someone could run to a city of refuge and th- as long as they were there, they were safe until the case was properly dealt with. They could not just be killed in an act of revenge. A refuge is a place of safety and church should be a refuge. Church should be a refuge. Not just the building, but the people. The community. When you are in the community of God's people, that should be a safe place where you know you are protected. You know you will be sheltered. You know you will be cared for. You know you will be listened to. That you're safe with that community of people. Church should be a refuge. And David declares this at the start of the psalm. In the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I find my shelter and safety. This is a place where the enemy cannot get me. And I call, you know, this is not the message, but I just call upon us as a community. I, I do think we largely have a safe place, but don't take that for granted. It is something that needs to be continually protected, continually bolstered. In the Old Testament, there were men who walked the walls of the city at night called watchmen. And they looked out for danger coming to the city that would threaten the safety of the place. This is to be a safe place. This is to be a safe place where people find refuge, where threats cannot access them. David loves this picture of God as as one who spreads out his wings and creates a place of of safety and shelter from the storms of life. And it's something that David knows as a reality. It's not just a cute thought for him. He he has experienced this. Most famously, maybe he writes in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, I think it is, he writes about a time when... After him and his warriors had been away, they came back to Ziklag where all the women and children, they found the women and children had been taken, kidnapped, taken prisoner by, I think, the Amalekites it was. 
And David collapses in a heap on the ground and his own men are talking to him or are talking among themselves about stoning him. And David, in a beautiful verse, says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. He went to the strong place. He went to the place of shelter and safety. You know, I've told you before, there are... There are lots of incidents in the Bible where I just would love more detail. I'd love to know, David, in 1 Samuel 30, I think it's verse 6, what did that look like? What exactly did that look like? What did you do? At that moment when your people were talking of stoning you, when you didn't know where your, your wives and children were, what did you actually do? I'd love to know. But whatever he did, he found shelter. He found safety in that place. But somebody is questioning David's trust. And someone wants him to run away. Somebody wants him to quit. And you have to look at the psalm carefully and look at the speech marks carefully to know when is David quoting somebody else and when is David actually speaking himself. He starts off the psalm with, In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, And then he starts to quote the words of somebody else. Now we don't know who that somebody else was. Again, we can speculate. It could be a well-meaning friend who really does not have a history with God. It could be an enemy. We're not sure. But either way, this voice is motivated by an enemy. An enemy of David's soul. And, And what I'm going to read now is what the enemy is saying to David. Not what David is saying, not what God is saying. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain, like a little bird, endangered, defenseless, weak. I'm sure you've held birds in your hand plenty of times when they've flown into the window of the house and you do that thing where you just sit and wait and wait and you come on, come on. You know they're still alive and you can see them twitching about a wee bit and you hold it in your hand and you would feel like there's nothing there. They're so light. They're so tiny and defenseless and easily broken. And, and this person comes to David and says, you're, you're just like a little bird, David. You're defenseless. Fly away. You've got the ability to fly. That's all you've got. Fly away. Fly away to somewhere safe. Get away from this place. Flee like a bird to your mountain. Look, The wicked bend their bows, David. The wicked are are setting arrows against the strings. The wicked want to shoot from the shadows at you, David. David, you need to flee. You need to run. Get away. All around you, there are people ready to bring you down. You need to flee. Verse 3, the foundations are being destroyed, David. Everything that you lean on is being taken away from underneath you, David. What can you do? What can a righteous man do in the face of all that? David, run. And verses 2 and 3 are the words of this enemy in his mind coming to him. They're not his words. What was on the mountain? When he's told, flee like a bird to the mountain, what was on the mountain? In the Old Testament, many false gods and idols were worshipped on mountaintops and hilltops. In fact, probably if you had just gone out at dusk in this context where where David is in and looked around, you would have seen maybe the glow of little fires here and there on hilltops and mountaintops where other gods were being worshipped. David, go and put your trust in something else. 
Go and put your trust in another God. Go and put your trust in another idol. Give up on this. Flee like a bird. Fly away to something else that will give you safety. Because God is not going to give you safety. Fly away to whatever. Whatever it is that makes people feel safe. Fly away to another shelter. There may have been strongholds on the mountains. There may have been places that that armies would have retreated to, to regroup and to strategize. Fly away to some other strong place. Forget about this God who shelters you, who claims to shelter you, but has let you down, David. Fly away. Fly away. Fly away. Whoever it was, they had lots of reasons to... Advise David to flee. In verse 2, they're getting David to look at all the wrong things. First words in verse 2, look. Look. Look at the might of your enemy, David. Look at the bows that are arrayed against you. I don't know if you've seen Tim's bow. Tim has a, what do you, what do you call it? Is it a compound? Compound bow. Like we, whenever we go and do archery with Tim, we use these little bows and they are toys compared to what he uses. This thing is incredible. The power, the poundage, the tension, absolutely the, the wallop of it as the arrow hits the target, right in the middle of the target, <laughs> is, is unbelievable. The sheer power. And, and David's, this voice in David's mind is saying, look at those bows. Look at those arrows, David. Look at the sheer power that your enemy has. Look at the obstacles in your life. Look, they're, they're lurking in the shadows. The end of verse 2, they're shooting from the shadows. David, you can't even see them, but in every shadow there is somebody ready to take you down. Run, David. Run. Get away. Flee. Hide. Don't stay here. Look at the enemy. What else does he want David to look at? In verse, in verse 3, he wants him to look at something else. Look at the foundations of your life, David. Look at all of the things that give you stability. David, they're crumbling. They're falling apart. Run, David. Everything is falling to bits. And if this was David when he was being hunted by Saul in the wilderness, he had nothing. He had nothing but his men around him and he had his wits. And he, he had no home. He had no family. He probably had limited weaponry. All the things that people might lean on for support, he did not have them. It was an incredibly uncertain life that he was leading. And this voice comes and says, David, look, all the things you lean on are being taken away from you. Run, David, just run. Just quit. Just quit. Just run away. Fly away, little bird. That's all you are. This is one battle too many for you. And at the end of verse 3, the voice of the enemy says, What can the righteous do? When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Sometimes you hear Christians quoting that as if it's God speaking or David speaking. It's an enemy saying, Your foundations are crumbling. Why bother with this righteousness anymore? Why not just run away from it all? You give it a shot, leave it, quit. 
What can the righteous do? When the enemy lies in wait, when everything we relied on is starting to crumble and the temptation is to quit, what can the righteous do? Jeremiah tried to quit. Jeremiah was mocked and attacked and ridiculed and rubbished by everybody. And at one stage, Jeremiah basically says, I am sick of this. I'm sick of it. I want to stop. I don't want to speak of this anymore. But he said he couldn't quit. He says the the word of God, the messages that he had, he says, there's a fire in my bones. I couldn't stop. Elijah, after that great victory on Mount Carmel, was in a cave hiding and he wanted to quit. He was broken and he he felt alone and he thought there's nobody else thinking the way I'm thinking. And he he effectively asked God to kill him, take his life. And he hears that whisper saying, Elijah, why are you here? Get up and go back the way you came. Get back in the fight, Elijah. Don't quit. So we're in good company. Those times in our lives when we do feel crushed and we do feel overwhelmed and we do feel like the foundations are crumbling and we do hear voices saying, fly away, little bird. We're in good company because there are plenty in God's word who have experienced that sort of advice and that sort of life and I can imagine David at the start of Psalm 11 verse 1 he's angry I think he's angry I don't imagine him sitting on a rock on a grassy hillside with his harp gently strumming it and quietly softly singing in the Lord I take refuge in fact what I see what came to mind as I thought about this last night is whenever you two sing Bullet the Blue Sky live, Bono sings it through a megaphone with a microphone at the end of it. That's what I picture David doing. He is yelling this. He is angry that someone has come and dared to tell him to quit. How dare you tell me to quit? How dare you tell me to flee? In the Lord I take refuge. I believe he's angry. He's incensed. He does not like this talk that he's hearing. And sometimes it takes a little bit of quitting talk to really get you riled. To really rouse you up and get your fight back in you. You want a, a movie that I haven't watched for a few years, but I love it. I absolutely love it. Is 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 Braveheart. And um, even though I've I've been quite fond of the English for the last few weeks, I still love Braveheart. But there's the, there's that great scene in it where um the, the, the armies are amassed and William Wallace has got his face all painted like an Everton fan and he shouts at them, he says, will, will you fight? And this scrawny wee Scottish guy says, no, we will run. And then another one says, the English are too many. And that talk of quitting just riles him. And this great, and it's a, I don't care what you think of the film, it was a great moment in cinema history when he then comes out with that speech. It is class. But he's riled by the quitting talk. And he determines that they will stand and that they will fight. They will not run. We don't need the voice of Job's wife in our, in our ear saying, curse God and die. Look at everything that's happened. Look at all that you've lost. Just fly away, little bird, and quit. Give up. Forget about this life of righteousness and obedience. Look where it has got you. Look where your righteousness has led you to. 
Look, you're being chased like a dog in the mountains by Saul and his army. All this righteous living, David, just forget it. It doesn't get you anywhere. In fact, it's probably got you in more trouble than otherwise you would have been in. But how dare you suggest that I run? How dare you suggest that God's promises in my life will not be fulfilled? How dare you suggest that I stop trusting him? How dare you suggest and fill my mind with doubt? David would go on to write in Psalm 27, The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. I'm not running. You better run. You better run. You better flee. Because I'm not fleeing. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Look at all the imagery that this enemy is using here. You're a little endangered bird. You're being hunted by heavily armed foes. Your foundations have crumbled. Run. Run. What is it that hunts you? What is it that whispers in your ear, flee away, little bird? What is it that tells you everything you lean on is being pulled out from under you? That is the voice of the devil. The devil wrote verses 2 and 3. The devil spoke them. David wrote them down. David's response is incredible. It's time for some truth to come out in order to combat these lies that are being pumped into David's mind. He's angry. He's shouting. I can see his eyes, intense, piercing. Whatever fool (laughs) said this to David right now is wishing he'd never opened his mouth. You say my foundations are destroyed. You have looked at my situation and you have said my foundations are destroyed. I say God is on the throne. God is on the throne. You have misunderstood the foundations of my life. God's throne is my foundation. Nothing can destroy it. His throne is the ultimate picture of authority, immovability, something that cannot be shaken, that cannot be broken. His throne is my foundation. You can pull out everything from under my feet, but his throne will not move. My foundation is indestructible. When all the things that people lean on are taken away, there is still a throne that cannot be shaken. How dare you tell me to quit? How dare you tell me to flee as if God is not on his throne? How dare you? I'm not fleeing. I'm not going anywhere. You say, this is a bit like that TV show, you know, you say, our survey said, (laughs) you say, the wicked lie in wait for me. 
That's what you're saying. You say the wicked lie and wait for me. Here's what I say in verse 4 and 5. God sees the wicked. And God hates the wicked. God doesn't hate anybody. Sorry, God hates the wicked. God hates the wicked. He misses nothing. Although they may lurk in the darkness and hide in all sorts of dark corners. Although they may sometimes take us by surprise. They never take him by surprise. He sees them. David's enemy comes and says, David, there are enemies hiding in the darkness. And David says, God sees them. And God hates them. And God will deal with them. They will get what's coming to them. In verse 6, he uses the language of Sodom and Gomorrah when when God will, will completely wipe out wickedness. You and me sometimes wish he would do that right now. We sometimes get frustrated at having to wait. God will deal with the wicked. Do you know that person who you think or who has, has wronged you, and I don't say this as some sort of personal vengeance thing, but, but whether they've wronged you or wronged someone else, and they're wicked, evil people, and you just wish, well, God, deal with them. He will. He will. Not in our time frame, but he will. How dare you tell me to flee as if God does not see this wickedness and honor his promise to deal with it. How dare you tell me to quit? You say, forget about righteousness in verse 3. The foundations are destroyed. What can a righteous person do? Why even bother being righteous? Why bother trying to please God? Look at where it's got you. Curse God and die. Fly away, little bird. Fly away to the hills. Trust something else. You say, forget about this righteousness. I say, God is righteous in verse 7. The Lord is righteous. And in verse 5, the Lord examines the righteous. What does that mean? The word examines the righteous. And the word examines is to do with purifying metals. It's the same word that Job uses in 23.10 when Job says, when he has tried me. That's the same word. When he has examined me, when he has scrutinized me, I shall come forth as gold. This scrutiny that David says the Lord exerts on the righteous, this scrutiny is, I see the gold and I'm going to bring it out. I'm going to bring it out. And the furnace sometimes is unbearably hot. But David understands that God is bringing forth gold. And Job understood that God would bring forth gold. You say, forget about this righteousness. I say, God is righteous. And God is bringing more gold out of this righteous heart. How dare you tell me to abandon my righteous life? How dare you tell me to quit? How dare you tell me to flee? When I know that my righteous God is bringing forth gold from within me. How dare you tell me to quit? Be very careful about the advice you give people. This might have been a well-meaning member of David's team, his army, who was fed up, who had lost too much in the battle. It may have been. I don't know. But just be very, very careful about ever telling people to fly away. 
you say, flee like a bird to the mountain. In verse 1. In verse 4, I say, the Lord is in his holy temple. God has not changed his address. And I will not change mine. I don't see God moving out. I don't see God getting a God-sized suitcase and packing it in the temple and walking out the door and heading off. I don't see God leaving the building. God is staying put and I am staying put. How dare you tell me to quit and flee when my God has not quit and has not fled? How dare you tell me to quit? And temple, don't, don't misunderstand the word temple. We'll maybe look at it, but it'll take... Take four or five weeks to look at it. We, th- we hear the word temple and we think of the tabernacle. We think of Solomon's temple. And we think of the second temple after the exile. There are temples all through the scriptures from start to finish. They're not buildings. They're places where people encounter God. Genesis 1 is a temple. And describes the creation of a temple. The whole cosmos is God's temple. He is on his heavenly throne. He's not going anywhere. How dare you tell me to flee when he is staying put? How dare you tell me to run when I see a God on his throne? You're the one who should quit, devil. You're the one who should flee. Because all this talk of quitting just rattles me. Just fires me up to fight harder and harder and harder. I can see David going around his men and just thumping them on the back, grabbing them by the collar. Saying, Come on, get back in the fight. Let's go. None of this talk of quitting. I wonder how much of this was in Jesus' mind. The psalm is not quoted to my knowledge in the New Testament. But I wonder how much it was in Jesus' mind in Matthew 4 when he's in the wilderness, like David was in the wilderness potentially when he wrote this. In the wilderness and he's facing down against the devil and Satan is questioning the character of God. Is he really righteous? If you're really his son, if he really cared about you, would you be here? If he really cared about your life, would you be in this situation? Satan bringing all these words, just like the enemy of Psalm 11, 2 and 3, into, 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 into Jesus' mind. These, these messages are coming. And I'm wondering, as Jesus spent those 40 days in the wilderness, I wonder, did he sing Psalm 11 at any stage? Because Hebrew children would have been brought up reciting and singing the Psalms. And they could have pulled any psalm. Anyone they wanted from memory. I wonder, did he sing Psalm 11? How dare you tell me to quit? I'm only getting started. I wonder, did he, did he think about this psalm in Matthew 16 when Peter came, his well-meaning friend came and said to him, Never, Lord, you won't suffer. You won't be crucified. You're not going to go through this. And Jesus said to him, Get away from me, Satan. I wonder, was Psalm 11 on his mind? How dare you tell me to quit? How dare you fill my mind with thoughts to try and draw me away from trusting my Father. I wonder was it in Jesus' mind in John 18 whenever Peter again, bless him, drew a sword and chopped off Malchus's ear. Malchus was one of the mob that had come to arrest Jesus. Peter attacked him with a sword. I wonder was, was this in Jesus' mind as he said to Peter, put your sword away. How dare you think that I will not drink the cup 
that the Father has given me. How dare you tell me to quit? Psalm 11 ends with a beautiful picture. After David has put his enemy in his box and countered all those false opinions of verses 2 and 3, there's a beautiful picture in verse 7. It's a picture of blessing. It says that upright men, and I just assure you that the Hebrew word for men is, is, a, is a gender-inclusive word of men and women, humanity, people. Upright men, the righteous, will see his face. I won't flee like a bird. I'll stay right here. I'll cling to this throne and I'll pursue a life of righteousness and I will see his face. To see someone's face is intimacy and fellowship. Years ago, lots of years ago, um, I went to hear Bob Dylan. And before Bob Dylan did his set, Van Morrison was on the same stage and he did a set. I've never seen such ignorance in all my life. <laughs> he wore sunglasses the whole time and he might as well have had a, a wall at the front of the stage because it just seemed to be this barrier between him and the people that he was meant to be connecting with. I hate talking to people who are wearing sunglasses. It's all right if the sun's blinding you and you're sitting outside. Whatever. But in general, there are times you're talking to somebody and they're wearing sunglasses and you're thinking, we don't really need these right now. <laughs> There's something about seeing people's eyes, seeing their face, that, that makes the, the fellowship and the communication more intimate. You've got the message by now that I, I really hate faceless communication. I really don't like it. I'm trying personally to use it less and less and less. I don't like it because you can't see the eyes. You can't hear the tone of the voice. I don't like it. To see someone's face is to have intimacy and closeness with them. And it is, a, it is an incredible picture of God's blessing on his people whenever he says that they will see his face. And the ironic blessing of, of Numbers chapter 6 it is prayed that, that God's countenance would be towards you, would be upon you, that you would see his face. And at the end of it all, in Revelation 22, verse 4, it says, they will see his face. Intimate closeness. How dare you tell me to quit? How dare you tell me to flee like a little bird? to run away from these trials, to run away from those who lurk in the shadows with their bows and arrows, to abandon righteousness. How dare you tell me that the foundations are destroyed? Do you not know that God is on his throne and never leaves it? If you walk with God for any length of time, if you are involved in ministry in any way, in fact, if you are breathing, you will be tempted to quit. You'll be tempted to quit. And you will hear the voice of the enemy saying, what's the point? Foundations are gone. The things you rely on are gone. 
The enemy's too great for you. You can't even see them. They're all over the place in the darkness. You will hear that voice saying, just quit. Especially if you are on what we sometimes refer to as the front line. I don't know if you remember some of you, a message that I preached over there a good while ago now called Where the River Meets the Sea. Sometimes you preach and you, you preach and sometimes you preach and you know, you know you've got something from God. When that river of life flows into that sea of death, the interface, the place where, where life meets death, where you're standing between the living and the dead. If you are a person and your ministry and your calling has you standing in that place, you will hear this voice regularly. Quit, 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 quit. It's too much for you, quit. Too much heartache, too much trouble, quit. Foundations destroyed, quit. Run away while you still can. And you need to learn to not look at the enemy lurking in the shadows, but to look to the throne. To look to the throne. To fight and to stand your ground. I am not quitting and I am not leaving because I look at a God who has not quit and who has not left. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for David and his determination. I thank you, Lord, that he discerned when he heard that voice, wherever it came from, he discerned the source of it and he counteracted it with mighty truth about who you are and where you sit. And Father, I pray for every person whose foundation appears to be destroyed, whose enemies appear to be too much for them, who have heard that voice saying, fly away, little bird. You are weak and you are light and you are defenseless. Just fly away. I pray, God, that you would encourage this morning. I pray, God, that as, as we sit here, that our hearts and our minds will be filled with the image of your throne and you upon it. You rule this palace temple that you have created. You rule it, Lord. You see everything. You see the wicked and you hate them. And you will deal with them. And you also see the wickedness in our hearts, Lord. And that's why we pray, search me. Know my heart. See if there's any wicked way within me. Just, Lord, in this moment even, show us maybe where wicked attitudes might creep into our hearts. Help us, Lord, to sit with those who, like Jeremiah or Elijah or Job or David, are hearing voices telling them to quit. Help us to sit with those people and bring truth to them. That God is on his throne and he sees everything and we will see his face. Bring forth gold from this people. Make this church community a safe place, a refuge, a haven where people run into it and they know they are safe.
The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it. And they are safe. just July, it's just quiet season, it's just another Sunday morning, but Father, may it be, may it be a, a point where in somebody's heart right now, they're riding about on a horse with their face painted, determined to fight and not listen to talk of quitting. Determined to stand their ground. God has called me God has sent his prophet Samuel to anoint me as the king and I will be the king and I will not run. (coughs) Father, let fight arise within us. Let the psalm itself become a refuge for us. Amen. Amen.